0: This morning we begin a brand new series in the book of Judges. I wanted to set it up uh, with a little story because the, the theme of Judges is overcoming. We're using that as a, as a theme concept, overcoming those things that we face in life, overcoming the challenges, sin, obstacles, those uh, oppositions to our lives. One of the great stories that I was reading about here just this last week is a woman by the name of Mary Slessor. Just out of curiosity, how many have heard of Mary Slessor? know of her. Oh, a goodly number of you. I swear, uh, way to go. Uh, is that because you read it in my email this last week? or is that, yeah. But uh, and anyways, um, we uh, are excited for what God has done through her. She was a young woman uh, growing up in the mid-1800s in a very impoverished uh, part of Scotland. And her father was an alcoholic and died young. Her two brothers died young, and so she, her mother, and sisters were there to survive. And uh, what is an area and a lifetime where you sh- simply didn't have the support mechanisms that are certainly available, at least for many of those people today. And uh, she followed the life of David Livingston, as many of us know of him, as missionary work. And when he died, she said, I'm going to follow in his footsteps. And she went to West Africa and served the Lord there and under very harsh conditions we're talking late 1800s early 1900s serving the Lord they didn't have a lot of the stuff even today it's tough but back then just getting there and serving the Lord was enormous she got malaria and had all kinds of harsh conditions but one of the quotes that comes out of one of her journals was this one that you might have seen if you read my email this week she says I'm not particular about my bed these days as I lay on a few dirty sticks laid across and covered with a litter of dirty corn shells with plenty of rats and insects three women and an infant three days old alongside and over a dozen sheep and goats and cows outside you don't wonder that I slept little but I had such a comfortable quiet in my own heart isn't that a beautiful spirit all around here is this lousy, lousy life, pain and suffering and poor conditions, and here I am serving the Lord and look at the terrible way I'm having to live my life, you know, that kind of stuff like, Lord, I dedicated to you, but this is the thanks I get, you know, that kind of an attitude could have been prevalent, but she had within her own heart such a very quiet night, very comfortable. That is the spirit of overcoming to me. It's saying, here are all these conditions that surround me that are harsh, painful, and difficult. For some of you, it may be a marriage. For some of you, it may be your children. It may be your boss. It may be your job. It may be your financial health, your physical health, your spiritual health, or your emotional health. Or it may be an addiction issue. There there may be any number of things that sort of come and go in our lives that we want to overcome, and, and they could sour us And they could poison our hearts, they could destroy our relationships, they could spiral us down, because we can't change a lot of those things. But we can in our own heart still be quiet, trusting, even comfortable. We want to have a heart that helps us overcome the things that come our way. So the book of Judges is going to help us to do that. Here is a map of the nation of Israel, and you may not be able to make out all those names, but all those little boxes are the various judges that we're going to be looking at over the course of the next number of weeks. I want to invite you to open your Bibles. I want to read a little bit from Judges. It's It's just an incredible book. In fact, there are portions of the book of Judges that we would not teach on if we had young children in the congregation sitting here. I mean, it's harsh. It's R-rated in certain portions. But the book of Judges begins, and it's really... The book of Judges, think about it in this way, it's a continuation of the book of Joshua. It is the, it is the story from Joshua's death to the rise of King Saul. It's about 1350 B.C. to about 1050 B.C. or so. It's sort of that, that era of life. And it's, so it's in between that period and what God would do is He would raise up judges to rule in the land. A judge in those days would rule over the political issues and over the civil issues. A judge would sit in the gate of the city. And in that city gate, he or she, there was a Deborah judge, would sit there and rule over legal issues that the people are struggling with. On other occasions, the judge would be leading the charge to go destroy an enemy. And so these are the individuals we want to learn from. Today I want to give a little bit of background, a little foundation. In Judges chapter 1 it begins this way. Now it came about after the death of Joshua that the sons of Israel inquired of the Lord saying, who shall go up first against the Canaanites to fight against them? And so just in that one verse you see what's going to happen. What God is doing now is says, I want you to go into the land of Israel They're going into the land that Abraham had been promised. Way back in Genesis 12, 15, and 17, God gave Abraham and his descendants, the Jewish people, a specific territory of land. Well, all that promise has been sitting sort of on a shelf. And now they want to claim the promise. They want to go and cash in the receipt. And get what God had promised them. So they're going to go in the land, and they want to possess the land. They want to own it. They want to make it their own. They want to acquire it and live in it. So the Canaanites are those who live in the land, along with a lot of other people groups as well. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon, his brother... "'Come up with me into the territory allotted me "'that we may fight against the Canaanites, "'and I in turn will go up with you "'into the territory allotted.' "'So Simeon went up with him, "'and Judah went up with him, "'and the Lord gave the Canaanites "'and the Perizzites into their hands, "'and they defeated uh, 10,000 men at Bezek. "'And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek, "'who is the king,' Adonai means Lord, "'so he is the Lord of Bezek, "'and fought against him "'and defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites.' But Ananiah Bezek fled, and they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Adam Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to gather up scraps under my table, as I have done, so God has repaid me. So they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there, died there cut off his thumbs and his toes. The Middle East has always been a bloody, harsh place to live. It's still that way today. You see it there. So that's sort of a beginning. These are, some, these are sort of a background of what's taking place. Let me invite you to turn over to Judges 2, and then I'm going to take from this some applications about those things that we need to overcome. In Judges 2, it says in verse 1, Now the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal. The angel of the Lord, we believe, is the, what we call the pre-incarnate Christ. It's Christ coming into the Old Testament days to make God's will known. So the angel of the Lord is there to express to these people what he wants them to know. And he said to them, I brought you up out of Egypt led you into the land which I have sworn to your fathers. That's Abraham and the covenant that he established with him way back when that was taking place in Genesis 12. And I will never break my covenant with you. God still has a covenant with them, the Abrahamic covenant, that is yet to be fulfilled. They have not fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant. That's why we believe that Jesus will come back and then this land that had once been promised to them will finally be occupied with the Savior, the Messiah, ruling over them. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? So they're beginning to make friends and they're, they're partnering up with the enemies of the land. And therefore I said, I will not drive them out before you, but they will become as thorns in your sides and the gods will be a snare to you. When the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. So they named that place Bochim, and there they sacrificed to the Lord. Now when Joshua had dismissed the people, the sons of Israel went each to his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord which he had done in Israel. Then Joshua said, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of one hundred and ten. One hundred and ten. Can you believe this guy? I don't know how most people don't live that today, but back then that's re- really remarkable with the kind of health conditions that they had. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Tamathiris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. And all the generations there gathered to their fathers, and there rose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which He had done for them. Then the Israels did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now here begins the storyline of the book of Judges. Here is a chart that helps to show the book of Judges is a cyclical book. It is a cycle of sin. And what you see in verses 11 through verse 19 is this cycle, and its cycle is this, as you might be able to tell on the screen. Israel serves the Lord. Israel falls into sin of idolatry with the Canaanite people around them. Israel then is enslaved into this very terrible lifestyle. Israel then hates what the consequences are of their sin, so they call on the Lord. And then God raises up a judge like Gideon Samson two of the more popular ones and Israel is delivered from that they live in peace and prosperity and then it goes all the way back and they begin to fall into sin and idolatry again they cannot stop sinning they keep on returning to the trough of evil and that's the problem that we see in the book of Judges and it's described here in verse 11 the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals the gods of that land And they forsook the Lord, the God of their father, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. And thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Asherah. The anger of the Lord burned against her, Israel, and he gave them into the hands of the plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so they could no longer stand before the enemies. And wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had spoken, as the Lord had sworn to them, so that they were severely distressed. Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot. After other gods and bowed themselves down to them, and then they turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord, they did not do as their fathers. When the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them from the hand of the enemies all the day of the judge. But the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because those who oppressed and afflicted them. But it came about when the judge died that they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers, in following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not abandon their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he said, Because this nation has transgressed my covenant which I commanded their fathers, and has not listened to my voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk in it as their fathers did or not. So the Lord allowed those nations to remain, not driving them out quickly. He did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Even today, the people that surround the nation of Israel exist Gaza, the Palestinians, Jordan, other nations around them. People in the land of Israel, people around the land of Israel, it is just like the day of Judges, where they're there in some way or some form to constantly test the Jewish people. And so they have yet to occupy the land that Abraham had been promised. And so we look forward to the day when Jesus comes back and that land will then finally be fully occupied and owned and possessed and ruled over in a righteous kingdom. And so this cycle is continuing on. It's a very different nation today, but it's much much like the Israelites in those days, where they forsook God and served the gods of this world. Today, Israel has forsaken God, and they're serving the gods of this world. But we can learn from them. Here is a key verse, the very last verse. is repeated several times in the book of Judges. But here is the essence of what's going on in Judges. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's that kind of humanistic, relativistic, moral determination. I'll determine what truth is. I'll determine what right and wrong is. Don't you impose your truth and your morality on me. I'll determine what's right for me. That's the mindset of judges. That's the mindset of so many today. And that's what we want to look at. What are those obstacles? What are those problems that we have to overcome? Let me take from these two and a half chapters, a little bit in chapter three, some of the things that I believe are timeless principles. Here's a little lesson that I always keep in mind. If you like to be a student of God's Word and you want the Bible to make some sense, because you read so much in the Old Testament it says, man, what does that have to do with me today? Here's a little phrase that I like to throw out. In the Old Testament, as in the New Testament, practically, there are temporary practices that are very different from our world today. When we catch an enemy today, we don't cut off the thumbs and the big toes, right? If you've got an enemy, somebody at work that just despises you, you can't capture that person and cut off their big toes and their thumbs, right? Okay. Well, that's a temporary practice. That's not something we do. But there are timeless principles. Temporary practices relate to timeless principles. What's the principle we can draw from these things that helps us to live today? I wanna to give you the timeless principles of those things that we need to be alert to. Lest we as a church, we as a people, we as Calvary Church, we as believers who live today, if you're a follower of Jesus, that we can fall into the same trap that they fell into. We can drift. Here are some of those things. You have them on your outline. First thing I noticed about this particular uh, era was a failure of spiritual leadership. It's just an outstanding Problem that continues even to this day. There were two aspects to their spiritual leadership failure. Number one, they had no succession plan. You notice in verse 8, then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at age 110. And that's it, period. Now you go back one generation to Moses, Moses was in the business of raising up a follower. That's Joshua. Go back to Deuteronomy 31, throw it on the screen. I got a lot of passages I'm going to throw on the screen then Moses called to Joshua and said to him in the sight of all the people be strong and courageous for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them there again the Abrahamic covenant the Lord has sworn to their fathers that's Abraham Isaac, Jacob and you shall give it to them as an inheritance the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you he will be with you he will not fail you or forsake you do not fear or be dismayed. God had a plan for succession. He said, Moses, you're going to die. God told Moses. And he di- Moses died in good health. He had good eyesight. He, he didn't just sort of decay away. He just dropped dead because God says, I'm done with you, Moses. And he took him home. And I like to believe that every believer just is taken home. He just sort of dropped dead one day and that's it. That's fine by me. I hope that's how I go. I don't want to lay in a convalescent hospital for two years and have people come and pity me laying in that bed with a bedpan. I'm just not interested in that. (laughs) Sorry. That was totally unscripted. Um, (laughs) But what Moses had was this image that said, You know what? I'm dying, but I need someone to keep the work going. Because I don't want to... we still got to occupy the land. we got a vision to fulfill. So he chose Joshua. Well, when Joshua died, I don't know what happened, but there, were nobody, there was nobody behind Joshua. They just moved on. Here's the key for you and me. Who's going to pick up where we live off? Who's going to carry the faith that we carry? Our children, our grandchildren, neighbor? Who, who, who am I going to pass on what I have so that the generations behind me continue to carry on the work? We're all going to be thinking about that. I think about that in my job here at Calvary Church. I could drop dead and uh, you would find someone else to fill me in and it would be like, Dave who? Or we can do this in a way that makes sense. That God says there's a seamless character that says, you know what, we're not done here. We need to continue to think not just about our generation, but many of us, we're the last of our generation. We, we are at that age where we are sort of it. Sort of like when you're in eighth grade, you're it. But then you're a freshman and you're no longer it anymore. And you wait to become a senior and you're it. Well, a lot of us are it. And we need someone to come behind us. We need to invest in those who follow us so that it doesn't stop with us like it did with Joshua. The second thing that I noticed is there was no vision that ties in with that. This is all under leadership. To reach the next generation. Because there was no effort to find a Joshua as to Moses or Barnabas and Paul as to Timothy, there was no vision to reach the next generation as it says in Judges 2.10. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which He had done for Israel. They just didn't know. That's why we have a Calvary Christian school here. That's why we invest in student ministries from junior high, high school, and college. That's why we have so many people that are half my age on staff. I could be their father. Sometimes I feel like spanking them. But we have this opportunity to help pass on our faith to those that follow us. And that's why we invest in those things. Because we don't want a generation that rises up that doesn't know the Lord, doesn't know the work of the Lord. Psalm 78 said this, for he established a testimony in Jacob, and he appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, and even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and do not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart, whose spirit was not faithful to god so my question is who are we passing on what we believe to who are we investing in where is my faith being passed to a generation that follows it's up to us that's why we invest in that in our church a second problem that they had to overcome that may be vulnerable to us is assimilating in and acquiring the immoral values of the world around them god says get rid of the canaanites don't coexist with the canaanites lest you be swayed by their belief system, their Baal worship. You play, as he called it there, the harlot. Literally, they were prostituting themselves, but figuratively and spiritually, they were prostituting themselves by their faith and not following Jesus Christ, the God of heaven and earth. In Judges 2, 11, we read this, And the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served the Baals, and they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them. First Corinthians 15 tells us that bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. I need to be careful who and what I associate myself with because bad company corrupts good morals. And I've never understood that because of the power of God, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That's what John says. But for some reason when I hang around those, and I'm saying be separate but be connected. Be in the world but not of the world as Jesus said. It's a delicate balance that requires wisdom As God told them in Deuteronomy 7, But thus you shall do to them, you shall tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, hew down the ashram, and burn the graven images with fire. For you are a holy people. The word holy, the word holy means there when that word was written down, be separate. Holy is not some vague notion. It's I'm separate from sin. I don't dwell there. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord God has chosen you to be people for His own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now here is the temporary practice versus the timeless principle. Temporary practice, you tear down their altars, you smash their sacred pillars, you hew down Asherim and the graven image of the Lord. We don't go around destroying those entities that we believe are evil. But we don't allow ourselves to be... Connected to them in the way that they would somehow poison the heart of faith. As I said uh, some time ago, one of my things is here's another little thing, little little Davism. We need to engage but not endorse those things that are wrong. We engage with people that we believe are doing things that are wrong, but we don't do it in a way that looks like we endorse the behavior. We need to walk that delicate balance of wisdom because we don't take ourselves out of the world. We're not monks. We're not going to live in some monastery somewhere. We live in the world. We engage with the world, but we don't want to endorse the world because one of the things that was happening with another obstacle, a problem, is they were drifting away from knowing and applying biblical truths to their lives. They were drifting from that. It was no longer a, a steadfast drive and vision. It says in Judges 2.17, yet they did not listen to their judges. They weren't hearing the voice of Gideon and Deborah and, and Samson and all the others that we don't know quite as well that we'll learn about. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commands of the Lord. They did not do as their fathers. There is a, there is a natural tendency to constantly drift From biblical truth. We are prone to that. Prone to wander. You know, that's why some of these songs are so good. Because they tell us the truth. Here's what Timothy tells us about how we need to be careful. Preach the word, Paul said to Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove. Rebuke. Exhort. Sometimes we do all those things here. And sometimes I feel badly that I might sound too harsh or something. I don't know. But with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. The time will come when we won't endure sound doctrine. Why is that? But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth. And we'll turn aside the myths. We are vulnerable as a people, as, a, as believers, as followers of Jesus to that. Where I don't want to endure sound doctrine. I um, you know I know enough to get by, but uh, you know, the whole idea of studying doctrine, studying truth, studying the Bible, becoming a student of the Word, as we have on Wednesday nights, student of the Word classes, that whole idea just looks kind of dry and boring. What we need are people who are committed to that because there is a tendency for us to accumulate for ourselves teachers that teach what we desire, not what God says. There's a big difference between what I want and what God says. There's a lot of things I'd do differently if it were up to me, but I say, but no, God, it's up to you. So I'm going to walk in your steps, your truth. Kind of an example that maybe you know about this, but it's just a great reminder and helpful to remember this point. If you go back a generation or two, when John Harvard started Harvard University, became wealthy and had money, and what John Harvard is described as is a godly man who wanted to raise up ministers to be able to teach God's Word. This is a plaque that is on the wall at Harvard Yard. And on the bottom line, it's a little bit hard to read because of the kind of the crazy way they wrote in those days, but the very last part of it, it says, and in, I want to pass on to posterity, dreading to leave an illiterate ministry to the churches when our present ministers shall lie in the dust. He says, I want to start Harvard to train ministers so that when I die, we won't have a parsity or a lacking of ministers after I'm done, dead. So he says, I want to train up those who are carried on. Harvard was created for that. If you go to Harvard today and you actually try to practice that, you're going to find a very different tune. Now what's interesting is that John Harvard started that. And then six presidents later, the sixth president of Harvard, uh, President Mather, he got concerned about the professors at Harvard. The reason he was concerned about the professors of Harvard is because they were growing very liberal and their belief system was very wide and their church polity had become way too broad. And so President Mather, he goes over to the collegiate uh, uh, college and he starts what today is Yale University. He says, because I want to get back to the orthodoxy of the Puritan movement and maintain the belief system that we started Harvard with. Because now Harvard's too liberal. And so Yale was started with that in mind. Well, you go to Yale and you try to preach this stuff. You say anything I said this morning and they would just think, you're crazy, you're crazy. And you don't have to go very far down the street. I love Chapman University. Chapman's a very fine school. It's a great school. If you want a good education, you get a good education. If you can't get into Biola, go to Chapman. And so it's a great opportunity for you to grow there because they got a lot of good things, the, the law school and all that. There's some good people and there's some good teachers there. And here is Memorial Hall. Memorial Hall. I was just there just the other day. Took that picture. And so as you drive down Glacell and you will see Memorial Hall and a little beautiful courtyard. The campus is just beautiful. So I'm not here to tear down this university but i'm here to make one observation if you walk up to that wall on the left hand side of the doorway there by those beautiful pillars there is a plaque that is on that wall that was there from the beginning of chapman university and that plaque says christian education is the training for complete living christian education is the training for complete living i'd like to sign up for the christian education course that you say you have here I don't know that we would hear what I'm saying today. Because as you go down the hallway there, you'll come to the Fish Interfaith Center and in Wallace All Faiths Chapel, where any faith is welcome to proclaim what they believe. We love Chapman University, and some of you are alumnus, some of you may even work there. It's not to put it down, but it's to observe that we have a tendency to drift away from sound doctrine and to move into that which I desire to hear not which God says I need to hear that's the tendency they did it in Judges we can do it too we can do it right here that's why I'm on the board of Biola University Biola is over 100 years old and Biola has not changed its doctrinal position in over 100 years no drift no watering down no accommodating for society. No getting with it to be more tolerant and accepting. No sort of enlightenment where we now see how, how decrepit those hundred-year-old people were as they created this doctrinal position. And as a church, we need to be careful as well. We can drift as well. We want to fit in. We don't want to look nutty and weird and fundamental and radical. We just want to fit in. There is a tendency for that. Now, we need to be careful. Remember, there are temporary practices, but there are timeless principles. And if you get that backwards, you'll look very nutty, and you'll be wrong biblically as well. So you need to be very careful with that. And one of the other things that I noticed that happened to the loss of biblical design for the family in those days. They lost what the family unit was supposed to be and how it was supposed to function. In Judges 3, 6, it says, And they took daughters for themselves as wives and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. So they began to intermarry with these uh, people that did not believe that Yahweh is the God to worship and carry on the traditions and the practices and the feasts of worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ and God in heaven. In Deuteronomy 7, he had warned them, Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, the Canaanites, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your sons away from following me. But the principle is this. The temporary practice, it doesn't mean that it now... To, here's, the, here's a temporary practice that would be wrong. A Jewish person cannot marry a Gentile person. Well, that, that's not what it's saying there. That's a temporary practice that is not acceptable in this vein, but here's the timeless principle (sighs) that we begin to intermarry with those who do not believe what we believe that we begin to change what the family unit is all about and and next Sunday we're gonna have a guest here with us his name is Mark Gunger and you're gonna be laughing a lot more than you're laughing today (laughs) you're not laughing at all today so it's a pretty low bar I understand but he's funny but what mark is going to do is going to challenge us in our marriages in our families because one of the things that we want to promote at Calvary church is building quality families we want to overcome those things that break down the family and here's the application this is a let me be very gentle and careful about this but as much as we would love to preach against certain kinds of redefinitions of marriages today? You know, part of the problem is that many of the marriages that we have today that are man and woman, they're not working out very well. There's a lot of divorce. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of adultery. There's a lot of cheating. There's a lot of separation. There's a lot of abuse. By family units to claim Jesus as Savior. If we want to rail against redefinitions of marriage today it begins in our own home where we live it and practice it and model it and pass it on to our children. This is what a marriage looks like. It's not perfect. It doesn't always go well. We make mistakes. But there is this thing called forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration because I believe that if God can part the Red Sea, He can raise Lazarus from the dead. Maybe He can waken something in my own brain, my hard, stubborn heart. Maybe He can break through with me. So we need to be people that doesn't just get up and some old crazy preacher like me gets up here and rails against all the brokenness of the systems of marriage out there when we need to get our house in order here. So next Sunday is an opportunity to do that. How can we overcome the world today? Here's what Jesus said. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you may have tribulation. You will have tribulation. It's not may. You, you will have it. But take courage. I have overcome the world. That's where Mary Slusser is. Mary Slusser, as I began with, She started in a world of tribulation. There was lots of pain and suffering, malaria and mosquitoes and insects and orphans that she would take in, become parents to, become a mom to. She adopted a number of children so that they could have a home at least of a single mom like herself with no money. But at least she had a place where they could call home. She had tribulation. But as Jesus says, take courage. I've overcome that. And I want to give peace to your heart in the midst of the tribulation. One of the things we're going to learn as we go through Judges, as we look at these men and these women who serve God so boldly, is that God still gave them a heart of courage and a heart of overcoming the brokenness that surrounds them. Here's three observations very quickly. Remember that God is full of grace and power to help us even when we fail, and when we fail I fail i 've got many times, and I look back and says lord what, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? Why did I say that that 's not right. Forgive me. God is a God of beautiful and wonderful and loving grace, as we see here in judges two eighteen The Lord was with the judge and delivered them from the hand of the enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning. When you and I groan, says, Lord, I didn't want to do that. I don't, I want to overcome that. I, I don't like that tribulation. I don't like this pain, this suffering. I am battling these things and I don't always have victory in those things. God says, when you groan to me, when you cry to me, I have great pity for you and I want to help you. So God brings a judge in. He says, here's someone that I think can help you. That's why we have a counseling ministry here today. It's astounding to me when I hear about people who have a problem and they don't go to those who are trained to help, to give them victory. We have a ministry called Celebrate Recovery. It's astounding to me when people don't go to places and people like the judge in the Old Testament. There are people and places today where people can go and find deliverance, and God says, "I offer that to you," because He has pity on us in those days. When we groan, we need to strengthen our faith when tested by the world. God allowed these people to stay there. Notice what He says: they were testing; they were for testing. The Canaanites remained in the land; they were to test Israel to find out if they would obey the commandments of the Lord. The word "test" here's—I love to show the, the Hebrew word for test in the Old Testament—is "nasa." When you think of NASA, what do you think of? Space. And so when I see the word test, because I know what the Hebrew word for test is, it's NASA, it makes me want to look up. When I go through a test here, I want to go up there to the one that knows how to help. Because the word test means to prove the quality of someone through adversity. To prove the quality of someone through adversity when you and I are being tested by the conditions of our world by the things of the tribulation that Jesus calls it but it may be the deterioration of biblical truth. It may be the brokenness of the, of the family unit. It, it may be some of the failures of leadership to pass on to generations to come. It may be some of the things that the book of Judges is dealing with that are, that are painful and sinful and evil and awful. And I'm being tested by those things and it's oppressing me. It's breaking my heart. It's hard. God says, I'm testing you. I'm bringing and allowing those things in your world so that you can prove what your heart believes in. It's easy to believe in a God who is a Santa Claus that gives me everything I ever want. But there are so many times you read through the Psalms. I just read in Psalm 83 this morning. And the psalmist said this, Asaph, he said this, God, why are you so silent? Why am I not hearing from you? Where are you? Judges is the story of God trying to speak into our world. And it's the opportunity for us to hear from Him so that we can prove to Him that even when things don't go well, I'm still with you, Lord. I'm still believing. And then finally, when you experience those painful consequences, you call on Jesus to help. You say, Lord, I'm not going to do this alone. I need your help. And God says, I'd love to respond. Here's what He says. When the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the sons of Israel to deliver them. When they said, Lord, help, even though they've repeated the sin many, many times, repeatedly they failed God. And they would say, God, okay, I I surrender all. God says, okay, here I come. And he helps them. There's not a problem, there's not a sin that anyone in this room has ever committed, but that God would come and deliver. That's why he said to them in Jeremiah, when they were cast out of the land and overtaken by Babylon... Daniel and the lion's den all took place and they wanted to get back in the land. This is the promise that Jeremiah gave them. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from the nations from from all the places where I have driven you. Because he finally just scattered them because they didn't get it. This way after the kings and all. But then they called upon the Lord and God says, okay, let's come back. Let's get it right. Let's get together again. Let's heal what is broken. When we call on the Lord, He loves to restore what's broken. And God invites us into that life with Him. And He welcomes that. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. But I invite you as we have this next song, maybe to look over this list. Just sort of say, Lord, is is there some area here where you want to work in my life? Is there something that I need to do to, to respond to your call into my life where I can live the life that you've called me to live? And let God bless you with that and an opportunity to grow in that relationship with him. But let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you for giving to us a book where you didn't censor the book of Judges. Lord, it's not a pretty picture of your people. And for some of us, it may be a picture of our lives. I don't know. But, Father, I pray that we would turn to You to find the help and the strength, the resource and the victory, the healing and the restoration that Jesus, that angel of the Lord, that Jesus seeks to give us right now. And if someone is here who has never believed in Jesus, has never formed a relationship by trusting in Christ, in His death, burial, and resurrection for their sins, I pray that they would begin by believing in Him today, right now, and begin a new relationship with You, where You begin to make all things new, where we walk in the truth, we walk in holiness, we walk according to Your will, and we don't waver when tribulation comes, because we have courage, and Your peace, to help us overcome anything that comes our way. Strengthen us for that, Father. So we commit it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen.